officially summer, and you know what time it is. It's time for that Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Windtrust, the proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Chicago Cubs checking. Open online today at windtrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And we just saw the Cubs get done sweeping those San Diego Padres. They came into the friendly confines with the best record in all of the National League, and they exited, well, with their tail between their legs, and they did it in front of 25,000 fans, roughly 60% attendance and uh you know all signs pointing to crowd being back to 100 so let's get this show on the road it's ryan dempster along with me and tony andraki and deb i'm going to start with you because as loud as that crowd was versus san diego at 60 percent on june 11th when the cubs returned from that seven game road stand versus san francisco and san diego i mean if, if the friendly confines were, were as lit as the kids say over the last three well i don't even want to know what it's going to sound like versus st louis Oh man, I'll tell you what, like, you know, we do this, we cover these games and last year going through no fans and, you know, you kind of like, there was parts of it you appreciated um, just like the noises and the crack of the bat and the purity of it. But all of a sudden we had 25% and then 60% and 60% felt like there was like people spilling over seats because it felt so full. And to think about a hundred percent being in there is just awesome. We saw how it translated home field advantage was at its finest, um, you know, and players that just get electrified by that and probably none bigger than the guy man at shortstop in Javi Baez. He lives for that moment. He he feeds off that adrenaline and, the, and it was in full force. So to think about having the possibility of 100% for a Cardinal series, I'll tell you what, I know where I'm going to be and it's going to be at 1060 West Addison. Absolutely. The federal landmark, Tony, at 100%. I mean, it seems like it's been so long since we've seen a full crowd, a crowded house at Wrigley Field. And to get that crowd back, especially versus St. Louis, like Dempster said, I know where I'm going to be. It's right across the street. Yeah, it's going to be great. And like Dempster just said, too, I, people spilling over. I actually saw a fan the other day dive like two rows over to try to get a foul ball. And I was thinking, I, I thought at the same moment, too, that I was like, last year, you just didn't see crazy things like that because mm-hmm. – Foul balls were just clanging off the seats in the empty stadium, and it it felt very weird. So, yeah, this is incredible. I mean, this Padres series in particular, it did feel like 100%. It was night and day compared to even what 25% and obviously to anything we had last year. So it felt great. The players really fed off it. We heard multiple Javi chants, and he followed with homers in the series. We got a curtain call, which was really cool, the first one I've seen at Wrigley in two years. Uh, some MVP chants for Patrick Wisdom when he had a big Big series. I just think all around there's just like great vibes and great energy at Wrigley as, as everybody just seems so much more appreciative to be back there. Yeah, an energetic crowd, no doubt about it, versus San Diego and Demp. You know, to get that sweep of the Padres, you know, they're sitting in first place out west when they entered the series. And for the Cubs to be able to knock them off as well as beating the Dodgers and the New York Mets, they're 9-0 and versus teams right now sitting in first place. But the fact that they were able to dodge three bullets from San Diego, Joe Musgrove, uh, of course, you Darvish and Blake Snell. I mean, it is what it is. They got three wins, and maybe they should have lined things up a little differently if you're Jace Tingler and said, the way these Cubs are playing, we might need one of those guys on the hill. And they didn't have them. No, and, and, you know, it turns out that they're going to miss uh, at least one of them again. Uh, when they go back out there, but that's just the nature of the beast when you're playing during a season and you play teams close to each other, uh, you know, and good for them. Like at the end of the day, you're, you know, they weren't facing slouches either. You look at the numbers of each of those started pitchers coming into the game. They got really good stuff. They're capable of striking a lot of guys out and the Cubs put together great at bats and that's taking care of your business at home. And then now you go on the West coast, San Francisco's in first place. They're playing great baseball. They're pitching extremely well both their starting rotation and their bullpen. So they're going to have their hands full. And then you know that the Padres are not going to forget one second what just went on at Wrigley Field, and they're going to be get ready. But I think this approach they take every day is just is exactly that, today. It only matters today. You know, don't make it bigger than that. Don't make it about a series. Make it about this game right here. And because of that, that's why you're seeing these wins just happen against really good teams, which tells me, the Cubs are a really good team. They're not, this isn't a fluke. We're in June 1st now, and they're continuing to play great baseball since April 17th and doing it in multi-different facets, and it's fun to watch. So, um, you know, good for them for taking care of their business. It's like, you know, Cole, we always talk about it too. It's like, okay, cool, you're facing the Pirates, right? Not a good team. Then you better beat them, and they do that. 
They're facing such a good team. Not a good, they're taking care of the team. They're not playing down to the competition. They're playing above the, the lesser competition, and they're playing right there with the great competition that they're facing and beating them. So um, I just love where they're at right now and look forward to keep it, watch them keep it going. Yeah, how could you not love the way they're playing? I mean, they're, they're playing a brand of baseball that at the beginning of the season, there was really no sense of identity. This is a team that was, you know, swinging for the fences. And, you know, we, we sat around our Marquee Sports Network studios, Tony, and said, if this team can just start putting the ball in play and doing the little things. And that's what we're seeing right now. They're, they're getting on base. They're scoring runs. They're stealing bases. It seems to be a complete team effort. And when guys go down, we've seen the injury bug. We've seen other guys just step right back up. It's been another link in the chain mentality. And we saw how they struggled and scuffled just a little bit during the month of April. But once it turned May and they turned that calendar page, I mean, they look like a completely different team. So when it comes to that turnaround in May and then piggybacking into the month of June, Tony, what was the most impressive thing to you? I think it's what you said right there. It's the identity. They Rizzo said it a few days ago that the Cubs feel like they're never out of a game right now. They feel like they're always able to win each night. And they've proven that. I mean, they went the, almost the entire month of May without losing a game by multiple runs. They were right in there. They had ninth inning rallies. You know, that everybody on Twitter wants to call them like fake rallies, but they're not fake when you're able to come back. And even if you don't tie the game, but you still score two or three runs in the ninth inning and you keep coming back, it, it gives that belief and instills that belief in this team that they can come back no matter who's out there, whether it's, you know, this amazing closer or, uh, you know, the, a Cy Young candidate, a former Cy Young winner. So I think it's that. I think it's doing that on a daily basis for over a month stretch here. And, and like you just said, Dems, like this is this is for real. They, they've shown it in every facet of the game. The bullpen is lights out. The offense keeps grinding it out. The starting rotation has turned things around. And also they do have that one day at a time mindset that David Ross, John Lester control what you can control. Hey, we still got a lot of baseball left. Let's just keep it going and not get too far ahead of ourselves. I think those have been the most impressive things. It's that mentality, that belief that they have. Yeah. And we've seen so many guys come up and people are like, well, well who's that? I don't know anything about him. Uh, where, where's he from? What's his backstory? I mean, whether it's a, you know, Sergio Alcantara or it's Patrick wisdom, these guys are coming up, they're getting after it. And, you know, Dev, we heard Anthony Rizzo the other day say that when he came up, you know, back in, you know, the, the, the beginning of, of this, of the, the decade, it seems like now, and Anthony Rizzo clearly a fixture with these Chicago Cubs, but he gave you a lot of credit for being able to put his mind at ease just to let him know, okay, you belong here. What we need you to do is help us win some ball games. So when, when you actually were able to take that young blood aside back then, and it's funny to call Anthony Rizzo a youngster back then, but what were you able to say to him to kind of, you know, to call him the savage beast and let him know you're here for a reason you're in the bigs and we need you to help us win ball games. Yeah. I think, you know, the toughest thing you can do is when you walk through that door as a young guy is to feel like you belong there you're walking into a locker room full of established big leaguers, especially a clubhouse like the Cubs, um, guys who've won World Series, MVPs, rookies of the year, all this stuff, right? There's a lot of accolades in there, and sometimes that's a little overwhelming. And, you know, when Riz came up, that was the end of my career there and the beginning of his there. And I was just trying to tell him, be yourself, man. Like, you're going to be a big part of this future, and you're going to be a big part of what goes on here. And, um, and, and be a leader. Don't, don't be afraid to be that leader and just be you. You know, work hard you know, listen, make adjustments, those kind of things. And there's a lot of information out there. If you want to just kind of look around and pay attention and take it all in, you can learn a lot in a hurry and don't try to be anybody you're not, um, you know, and have fun. Like that's, that's a big part too, is make sure you have fun um, and, and just be accountable. And, and Riz has done a lot of those things and he translates that to the guys now as he's grown older and passed that down. Who knows? It might be his last year in Chicago. He might be here for another five years. We don't know. And so, you know, to just kind of pass it along, he's always been such a good leader that way. And um, it's important because ultimately those guys that are coming up, you want to win games. And so you need them to be as relaxed as they can so that they perform their best, not feel the pressure and know that, you know, you, you have their back. You, you got a young guy's back. I remember coming up with the Marlins. I did not belong there. Like I was sent to big league from big league camp to minor league camp in 1998. Before minor league camp started, Jim Leland's like, you got to go. And I was like, all right, well, where do I go? It's minor league camp's not started. He's like, I don't go to the beach. You know, and now all of a sudden, boom, I walk back up into the big leagues six weeks later. First guy I meet in the locker room is Mike Piazza, who the Marlins had for a short period of time. And Mike's like, hey, man, have fun. Enjoy the moment. You know, like, 
you know, just be you, just go out there and work hard. And he was really great. Alex Fernandez was really great to me. I had guys like that were in my circle, like Cliff Floyd and Kevin Millar, just like, Hey, be yourself, have fun, you know, be on time, be accountable, work hard. You know, somebody's going to be nipping at your heels. Like if you're not going to do those things, somebody's going to come up before after you and try and take that spot. So just passing that along to guys so that they understand and feel welcome. Nothing worse than sitting in your locker and being like, who's going to come say hi to me? Where do I go? What do I do? The best thing you can have is a veteran guy come over, grab you on the shoulder and go, Hey, I'm going to go throw a pen. You want to come watch right on? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. You want to go play catch? Yeah. You want to go to the cage? Yeah. It automatically gets you this welcome feeling to the family. Cause that's what you are in there as a family. And we're blessed for the Chicago Cubs to have guys like Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Jason Hayward, all these guys, Wilson Contreras, that just welcome you as a family and make you feel that way so that you can just worry about going out there and playing the game that you've been playing since you're a kid. So Riz is as good as anybody about that. And I'm glad all those hundreds I slipped in his pocket worked and he said some nice things about me. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems as if Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Wilson Contreras and Javi, they have – well, they've had their hands full when it comes to welcoming a lot of new young guys <laughs> to the fold with the Chicago Cubs teams. It's, 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 and maybe they're slipping a lot of hundreds in some pockets over there, but you know, it's, it's, it's wisdom. It's Al Alcantara, it's Thompson and Steele, it's Nance. And it seems like David Ross has been able to really, you know, spread a, a Bill Belichick mindset in, in next man up. These guys, they're, they're not just specific players. They're, they're baseball players. And, and you see the lead that's been set by Chris Bryant, wherever he needs to go and wherever this team needs him to win. And that's what he's been able to do. So Tony, uh, how has this team really been able to embrace that next man up mentality? I think it's everything you guys both just talked about. It's obviously the players in the clubhouse, but it is David Ross too. I think Ross deserves a ton of credit for how they've been able to do this because he doesn't necessarily have these conversations with each guy coming up, right? It's not like Justin Steele comes up, Ross sits him in his office and is like, hey, be yourself. And, and then Patrick Wisdom comes up and Alcantara. And it's like, you can't do that every day if you're the manager. But bench coach Andy Green uh, plays a role. They do obviously discuss some of these things with Ross. But but I think it's that, you know, it's the culture that they've built. And in 2015, Ross was one of the guys that came in as a player to help build that winning culture. He's doing that now. And, and I talked to Keegan Thompson on the homestand, and he mentioned how He's like, when the manager throws you out there and starts against the Dodgers or in a, in a high leverage moment, yeah. he clearly has confidence in you. So how could you not have confidence in yourself? And, and all these other guys have come in. Patrick Wisdom, Rafael Ortega, they both have just come up within the past week or so. And they said, the first guys that came and talked to them, Jason Hayward, Anthony Rizzo, they said, hey, welcome here. You're here to help us win. Be yourself. And you see that too on the field. You see Jason Hayward is on the IL, Jake Marisnik. These guys are on the injured list at the moment, but they're on the top step of the dugout cheering these guys on. They're the biggest cheerleaders and fans in the ballpark, helping root their teammates on, helping make them feel welcome, give them that confidence boost that they need. And, and I think it's that everybody is pulling on the same end of the rope. That's something Ross said a couple of days ago. We're seeing that play out. We're seeing that translate onto the field right now. Yeah, and Dempy, you know, when, when you see the way that these guys are able to play together, it's, you know, he, Tony talked about Jason Hayward and Jake Marisnik and Matt Duffy, and it, it just seems the list goes on when it comes to the injuries, Nico Horner. It's 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 really just a testament to this team's uh, never-quit attitude, and, and I don't know if that starts with David Ross, if it, it's, it just permeates through because of what the, the message that some of the other guys on the team are able to, you know, spread around through that clubhouse, but, you know, it, it's unbelievable, especially when you take a look at, some of the doubters, the way that this Cubs team, and even right now, you see that the, the, the power rankings at MLB came out and the Cubs were nowhere near the top 10. And as funny as that is, you know, people were saying, well, the Cubs, when it comes to run differential, they're not there with some of these other squads. But then you look at some of the teams that were in there, the Yankees were there, the Cardinals were there, and the Cubs, you know, their run differential is far and away ahead of both of those teams. And, you know, when, when you look at what they've been able to do, not only against the teams, that the, the doormats, quote unquote, like the Pittsburghs and the Cincinnati's, but they've been able to play some high-octane baseball versus the Padres, the Dodgers, the Mets, the teams that are able to go out there and win ball games. The Cubs, they're right in the thick of the mix. A hundred percent. And it's like, you know, there's there's so many levels here. It's You're right, the doubters, like people like, oh, I wonder – I've heard literally heard people say, I wonder if the Cubs are going to be sellers at the deadline. They're in first place, folks. Like, like wrap your head around – not, not selling, buying – like, that's the difference, right? Like, and maybe not leveraging the farm. Maybe there's pieces or maybe you just believe. You can talk a lot of things into existence on a, on a, in a you know, in a sporting event as a player. I can't speak for other sports, but I can, I know a lot of guys that play other sports. 
You know, why is Tom Brady so good? Listen to his teammates talk about it. What does he do? Walks up and down the sidelines and makes those guys believe that they're going to make the next play. You know, a hockey player that like all of a sudden, like is on the shelf. There's no way he's playing tonight, you know, and all of a sudden comes off the bench, a la Steven Stamkos last year in the playoffs. And like, boom, like guys on the team are like, if he's doing it, that's what these guys are doing. If, if I'm, if I'm a young player on the Cubs and Jason Hayward, who's hurt, who's got $200 million, who's got five gold gloves, who's got a world series, who's made all-star teams, who's done all these things. And he's on the bench and he's cheering me on. You can't help, but feel good. And you can't help, but emulate that kind of behavior. And then you talk about David Ross, like the accountability thing, but also to the love, like love each other, appreciate each other. Um, push each other there's nothing wrong like me and my brothers would literally scrap in the backyard playing baseball but I'd stand in front of a moving train for either one of them like there becomes that relationship that you build within a team and like that identity thing that we were talking about finding out what that is what do we want it to be and when you love and care for each other and you appreciate each other and you're there for each other in the toughest of times then when things like are a little awry or you're not necessarily doing what you're supposed to be doing not performance wise not striking out with the bases loaded. That's not what I'm talking about. Not giving up runs. I'm talking about when you're maybe like not working out like you should be, not taking care of your preparation like you should be. It's okay now for me to jump in your ass a little bit and be like, hey, let's go. Let's go. Come on now. You got to get this going. And I can accept that because at the same time, you got nothing but love for me when things are going great. Then I have to be able to take that, that tough part too. And I think that's what's so great about – you know, the team that they have and those guys in there is now they're teaching these, this new wave of players that are coming through, you know, for years and years, we didn't see many pitchers coming up for the Cubs, young guys really playing a big pivotal part, right? It was the Jake Arrieta, it was the Lackey, it was the Lester, it was all these guys, Hendricks, they were the veteran guys taking care of everything. Now, all of a sudden, sure, you got a few of those guys left and you got the Craig Kimbrell, you got all these young guys just stepping in and they got nothing but positive surroundings around them guys doing what they can to put them in the best position to succeed. So uh, there's not a doubt in my mind, they'll be there at the end of the year, right where they are right now competing for the division and a chance to win the world series. And they got every possibility of winning that world series. Anybody who says they can't win the world series. Well, then guess what? You just don't get it because you've never been in a locker room and you've never known what that's like. I played on a team in 2013 in Boston that nobody gave us a shot but you know who did? Everybody who walked through the clubhouse door. That's who. Every guy that put the uniform on, every coach, everybody. And we just believed it. And I think these guys believe that. Whether the result ends up or not, the belief behind it is the most important part. Yeah, it's that brotherly love mentality that's, you know, running rampant right now in that Cubs clubhouse, which reminds me, you know, my, my brother is 14 years older than me. When I was 12, 13, he punched me square in the middle of the chest. And ever since that day, I, I've been plotting. I've said, you know what, I'm going to get him back. And I'm waiting. Maybe, maybe I'm going to fold him up because he's, he's considerably smaller than I am. So maybe I'm going to fold him up in front of his wife and his children who are now almost <laughs> adults. But I said, wait, I'm going to get you back one of these days. But like I said, I'd stand in front of a train for the dude, but I'm still waiting to cave his chest in sooner. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Now, now, Tony, you know, we, we've seen so many things that have contributed to this team and their success and, and that they're them being in first place right now. And uh, things uh, getting towards that trade deadline going to be pretty interesting, especially for Jed Hoyer, because, you know, Jed has that gamer mentality as, as a former college baseball player. It, it's, 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 it's almost in his blood. He, he knows what it's like and he knows what it's like being in a clubhouse and he sees these guys and he sees a lot of these youngsters that are coming up and they're, they're producing with, with unbelievable results. So when it comes to that, that deadline, the buyers, sellers, what does this team need? And if you were Jed Hoyer, what would you do? Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that's really fun to talk about in the media that, that trade deadlines two months away. We don't know the answer right now. Jed still has a lot of information he needs to take in before he gets there. But right now, how could you not be what Demp was saying? How could you not be buyers? How could you look at this clubhouse and the identity they formed and the, the competitiveness and the cohesiveness and chemistry of this group and not want to add to it? And the trade deadline is a different beast than it was in 2016 when the Cubs were going for that World Series. There, there aren't Glaber Torres and Eli Jimenez and Dylan Cease like they had over 16 and 17. Those guys aren't traded at the deadline most of the time now. They're low-level prospects. They're teenagers. That's usually the way things are because teams really just they, – they hold on to their prospects, their top prospects. And, and so I, I think it's, it's difficult too. There are a lot of guys on the Cubs that – are going to be free agents coming up. But 
if the Cubs keep going out there improving, and if they keep doing that day-to-day mentality that we talked about, and, and this is a big trip right now, West Coast trip to San Francisco and San Diego, if they keep doing all that, I think they make Jed in the front office's decision for them. Sam, how about you? I don't want to get you in trouble with Jed, but if you were up there on the fourth floor right across the overlooking Gallagher Way and, and you were in a position to make some moves to get some acquisitions to maybe bolster this team's chances, where, where would you go? What would you be looking at? Yeah, well, I, you know, just from like a purely like numbers standpoint, you know, and financially, I'm not, you know, but like, you know, Tom Ricketts has talked about it multiple times, like, you know, especially with fans having fans in the stands and being able to have, yeah. you know, revenue generated that way, the Cubs are going to be a top payroll team. And so, sure, okay, so now you have all these free agents, but like you can also, if they don't want to resign or it doesn't work out, you, there's other free agents out there that you can sign. I don't see this as a rebuild, you know, sometimes it's a retool. And this isn't a true rebuild. This isn't a market of Cleveland or Kansas city where you can't afford these players. It's, it's a big market. And so, um, you know, having those guys winners and maybe it's a bullpen piece, but the bullpen has been really good. Maybe it's a one more starting pitcher that you rent for two months. Um, you know, you don't know what those things are going to be six weeks from now. Right. Like when all of a sudden, you know, something happens and you got to try and make these trades um, to, to fill a void, but, you're also got guys on the DL who are going to come back off the DL, which is going to add depth to your roster and not just de- depth of guys who've been playing and been having some success. And all of a sudden they get pushed to the bench and they're a little bit better. So maybe it's a little piece, maybe it's not as much as we think, but I definitely like the thought of selling. I don't think is it's not some massive rebuild. Like it was back when they did it in 2012, 13 and 14 leading in that needed to be done. There was no minor league talent, you know, now all of a sudden these guys have had an opportunity to try to, you know, develop. And that's why we're seeing guys like Keegan Thompson come up and, you know, guys like Tommy Nance finally like break through. And these guys kind of had a chance, Justin Steele, to be able to come up and perform. And I think when they've done that, there's more guys coming, there's more guys down there. But like Tony said, there's not, teams just don't trade away their top prospect anymore. I mean, look what the Dodgers gave up to get Mookie Betts. The guy is like the best player in the American league MVP, one of the best players in all of baseball and boom, they don't really get, they gave up Verdugo. That's it. You know, like, so like teams aren't giving that away. So you might, you're almost better off Cole, to be honest with you, keeping the players and getting the draft pick compensation for them because those players that you're going to draft, you know, within the top two rounds of the draft, you're going to have just as good a chance as any minor league talent you're going to get because teams won't get rid of those ones. So, um, you know, I know that it's a little step away, but, and then like you said, off the top, Jet, Jet's competitive, man. He, yeah. When you get accustomed to winning, not just as players, as front office, you want to continue to keep winning. And he's got that in it, thirst in his mouth to do that. It's his first year. And, and they're right there as good as anybody as we're seeing with the performance on the field. If this keeps up for another, another month, man, go get something. Whatever, whatever it is that you need, it might not mean a much. Yeah, and as crazy as it sounds, I think Alex Verdugo, as it currently stands, has a higher batting average than Mookie Betts. So, I mean, who really came out on the winning side of that trade right there? It's it's a nice one you put throw out there, Dent. But, you know, another guy, you know, real quick before we take a break, that uh, may, maybe I'm speaking out of school, but if it came to getting, you know, uh, someone in that starting rotation, perhaps a lefty who has a little velocity, it's someone who also came over from Boston to Los Angeles. But, David Price, like, I, I don't know what the stipulations of his contract are right now, but uh, Tony, I don't know how you feel about David Price in the middle of this Cubs lineup, but to have a lefty to break things up, especially a lefty that has a little pop on that fastball, a little bit of zip, I think he would look lovely in, in a Cubs pinstripe uniform. Yeah, he could. I, I think the big name in the starting rotation that everybody, not just Cubs fans, but everybody's going to be looking at is Max Scherzer if the Nationals continue to fall off. and Scherzer I've heard that continue. rumor before. That, that would be un- unbelievable. Right. And I'm not, I'm not linking anything, nothing at all. Just pure speculation. Scherzer would be the, the top of the food chain for any team looking to add a starting pitcher. I mean, if you add a guy who's still pitching at the top of his game, I think he's a three times Cy young winner, right? Like yeah. that would be amazing. So yeah, but you know, little pieces like price um, who could obviously come in and change the complexion, give it, give him a different look in a lefty. This is the first time in years that we haven't seen the Cubs with a lefty in the starting mm-hmm. rotation. So I think all those things could be big. And, and again, it's just something that's just, just fun to talk about right now. And interesting, it's going to be a really fascinating summer, no matter which direction the Cubs go performance to the team or whatever else there's so many implications for 
later this fall and in future years. So I just think there's so much to watch and it's going to be a lot of fun to, to see what plays out here. Yeah, Max Scherzer, three-time signing award winner, won one in the American League with Detroit and then won back-to-back size with those Washington Nationals. And if something really were to come down the pipe where, where he was able to become a member of the Chicago Cubs, I think a lot of people would change their tune when it comes to the way this team is able to win ball games and having Max Scherzer on the squad, that would be unbelievable. Right now, all we're doing with that idea is spitballing because that's all it is. It's something that's just floating out there in those nether regions. So we'll see because that trade deadline, it's still a little bit away, but like Tony said, and the Demp said, it's always fun to talk about. Now we have more to come right here on the Cubs weekly podcast. We're going to talk about Demp and his run of the town when he's able to walk over there to Wrigley field and just stroll around the base paths all by himself. Like it's not the second oldest baseball park in all of America. We're also going to catch up and hear from Tommy Nance. We know how good that guy's been, but yeah, what he deals with when he's not on the field, well, that, that's almost worth the price of admission. So more to come right here on the Cubs weekly podcast, but first a word from our sponsor, Wintrust. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. Back here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. We just heard those commercial messages. Always good to get a few bills paid. And uh, Demp, you know, before we hit the break, we were talking about that digging in with Demp segment. We talked about you being able to stroll the bases at Wrigley Field all by yourself. So, you know what? Uh, how did those come about? And one thing I really want to know about is your catcher and third base coach during those segments. Our producer extraordinaire, coordinating producer, Nick Steger. I mean, that guy right there, he's as good as it gets, right? Yeah, I mean, Nick Steger, you talk about the, today's modern ball player has got to play every position. We see what Chris Bryant's doing. He's playing third, center, left, right. Now he's playing first base while Riz is out, and Steegs did it all. I mean, he was multifaceted, multi-tool. He even went third base coach Willie Harris on me, going full get down on the grass. It was really, really impressive flashing those uh, those old high school skills. And and uh, it's it was pretty uh, – I'm not going to lie, man. There's a lot of people who get out there and say, I'll catch you. But Steaks did a pretty good job. A couple Rams horns a couple of times. You know, he, he knocked it down like he had a glove deal with Teflon or something. But um, other than that, he did a good job. But, no, you know, it was it was a ton of fun. It actually was an idea that brewed last year um, that we thought about trying to do, um, you know, especially with the pandemic going on and no fans. And when the team was on the road and calling games at home because we're not traveling, you know, working all those years at MLB Network, we have Studio 42 where we can go in and do live demos and something happens yep. in a game. Let's go break that down. I was like, man, we got our studio across the street from Wrigley Field. What if we have an opportunity to go into Wrigley and give fans exactly kind of what went on? And so um, team was in Pittsburgh. Trevor Williams was starting. And it just started with like, all right, we, we have a blank canvas. We don't know what's going to happen right now. And, you know, kind of talked about what he might be going through emotion-wise before the start of a game, your eight warm-up pitches. Then, boom, he has a play where he has to back up third base, you know, and backing up base is a simple, tiny little thing that you see go wrong all the time where guys don't get there and it costs them an extra base. You know, maybe both runners move up or run scores, whatever it is, so we got to do that. Then it was, you know, the, the slug bunts and, and getting bunts down and, and then him running the bases and kind of like all the little things in a game that we get to do and little moments that we want to show fans at home that are happening you know, we always see the highlights in the morning, you know, as we sit there and we turn on, it's like Homer, Homer, strikeouts, all the big moments in the game, the, the awesome defensive play. But there's all these little pieces that go on during a chess match of a major league baseball game that was so much fun to give fans. And, and to be able to do that while the game's going on, coming back from break was a ton of fun. And, uh, and we got, you know, a lot of people really liked it. And we're looking forward to hopefully doing that again. Um, at some point when the team's on the road. So a really, really cool thing, you know, when you have the luxury of, like you said, one of the oldest ballparks and the greatest ballpark in America right across the street to be able to jump down there and, and jump in with Boog and JD and show those in moments. And, you know, even things like running the bases, Hey, I'm a pitcher. I get it. There's going to be times where I might turn a double play out there if we're doing one of these, but I was always listening. I was always watching, you know, taking ground balls at shortstop with, you know, all-star shortstops, gold glove shortstops, taking fly balls in center field with some of the best in the game. And, just try to learn from them. I was always a baseball player, you know, I didn't just consider myself a pitcher. And um, as much as sometimes I look like I'm not paying attention, I, uh, I, I do, uh, I do clue in to what's going on out there. So it's good to be able to give that back to the fans and the next generation of players that's coming up so they can take those things out on their little league field and work on them. 
Well, then if the Cubs, as you know, they're going to be gone for seven games. And uh, I'm off on Friday and Saturday. And uh, I think Nick Steer would even agree that uh, I, I have a little bit more pop on my fastball than him. So it, can, can I come out there? Can I can I catch? Can I play third base coach? I mean, I, I, I want to go out there on an empty Wrigley Field and be able to throw the pill around. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with all the stuff being talked about, about putting stuff on the ball and doctoring the ball, we should just go ahead and throw you in the box. We'll throw sticks behind, sticks behind the dish. And I'll just show what Doctor in the Ball will do. Put some extra spin on it. I'll scuff a little something, sink it in on your hands. Maybe go all the way back to, the, to the, what I think it was the 20s with the old first uh, spitball there. We'll lube it up with some Vaseline, some Crisco, mm. some Bardol, all that kind of stuff, and see what we can make happen. You do like Harris from Major League, a little jalapeno, and then you know sometimes make your nose run, get that little bit on that. Is that would that, help? Would that be helpful at all? Absolutely. I don't have an arm like I used to. Someday you will too. Okay. All right. We'll see. <laughs> Always good. And you know that even the better part is when you see Harris from Major League playing other roles in other movies. I'm like, hold on a second. I'm just waiting for him to sling that 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 Indian's jacket over his shoulder and say that that Joe Boo needs a refill talking to the bartender. But hey, either way. Hey, real quick, you, you talk about that. So I had a chance years back. I went to watch a movie being filmed called uh um oh hold on, it's gonna come to me. It's Kevin James, Vince Vaughn. Uh, they worked at the car dealership. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they were making the making the electric uh charger. Um Yep. Where, where, yeah, where, where Vince Vaughn was a gambler. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, we'll get there. Okay, we'll get, we'll, and we'll so, figure it and, out. And so, the dilemma, Ron, the dilemma. The dilemma, yeah. And, yes. you know, and Vince Vaughn caught, you know, Kevin James' wife having an affair on him and all that with, stuff. With, he with Channing tell Tatum, and he, had a, and he had a lighter and a, and a can of spray paint, and he said, I'll burn your face, baby. I'll burn your face. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so, so I go down to watch it being filmed, actually, as a guest of Vince Vaughn, which was beyond cool in, in itself. But so the, the director of the movie was Ron Howard, right? Nice. So now I get a chance to be a watch this scene being filmed where they're pitching the car and they're doing all these takes and ad libs and Vince Vaughn and me and Ron, I'm sitting next to Ron Howard, by the way, in Ron Howard's director chair, which I found out later as I got up, I was in his chair. So one of the coolest moments ever. So I'm sitting there and, and Harris, uh, the actor, he, uh, Leslie, uh, I can't remember his last name off the hand. I'm drawing a blank. But anyways, he was right there. And all he was doing is talking to me about baseball. And like any other time, I would have been like, let's go. Let's grab a coffee. But I'm like, I'm talking to Ron Howard right now about movies, dude. Like, you're going to have to wait. You know, like that was what was going through my head. But it was really cool just to be in that. Like, you know, like Vince Vaughn's like, hey, Ryan, this is Queen. Like Queen Latifah. And I'm like, wow, man, this is like. I'm like, as a movie buff, as you know, I was just like, I'm lost in like some sort of kid heaven right now. You know, I got Opie Opie there. Just like, this is just like the most remarkable thing happening right now. This is, it was so cool. It was, it, Richie, Richie Cunningham is sitting here talking to me about movies going on. It was just the coolest thing ever, man. It was so cool. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to try to be a, a, someone who's trying, oh, you have a cool story? Well, here's Michael. But, you know, when it comes to Vince Vaughn, I mean, he, he is such a, he, he, who you see on the on the screen, that's kind of who he is in, in person. And I don't think a lot of people know about this, Depp. I'm sure you do. But Vince Vaughn's best friend is Peter Billingsley, a.k.a. Ralphie from A Christmas yeah. Story fame, from when they played in that after-school special when Vince Vaughn was on steroids and he was he was Ralphie's best friend. Or maybe it was the other <laughs> way around. Ralphie was on juice. But I was at the Super Bowl in Houston, and these guys were all hanging out. We, we were hanging out with them at the, at the bar or whatever, at the hotel. And I came down. It was right after the Cubs won the World Series, of course. And I had a Cubs shirt. And in, in the middle of the logo, it had smiling Michael Jordan as opposed to you know, crying Michael Jordan. Crying and Vince Vaughn comes up to me. He's like, hey, hey, what's, what's that, man? Like, my, Michael Jordan, he played for the White Sox. What's not, not the Cubs. What's that all about? And I'm like, well, you know, Chicago, Michael Jordan. I'm like, they're synonymous. You know, Michael Jordan you know, won six championships in the city. I'm like, it just makes a whole lot of sense. And he's like, ah, yeah, man, I get it. I get it. Like the best of both worlds, huh? Like peanut butter and chocolate. And like, I was sitting there, I was like, what the, the hell is going on here? Like, are, are there cameras around? Or are we in his next movie? Is this, is this Wedding Crashers part two? But like you said, I mean, th that guy introducing you to, to Queen Latifah and, and Harris from, from Major League. I mean, it's, it's as fun as, as he is. That's really who he is on, on TV. So it's, it's, it's Tony, do you have any, any Vince Vaughn stories? No, I don't. The closest okay. thing I have is uh, when I was a kid, I looked almost exactly like Peter Billingsley, Ralphie. So nice. that's, that's the best thing I got. Never met Vince Vaughn. Did you ever have a, a Red Ryder BB gun? Did you ever shoot your eye out with an icicle? 
No, I got both eyes. Uh, wore glasses, luckily. So, like, even if I did, it would have just pinged off it. So, it was perfect. And I wasn't like Ralphie. I didn't take my glasses off and go outside to shoot. So, no, it was all good. Vince <laughs> Vaughn always is in down in Manhattan Beach, Deb, as you know. And when I used to live out there, I remember one day I was walking up from the beach looking like John Candy in summer rental. My wife and daughter were like, we're going to the restaurant. We'll see. Pack the car up. I'm, I'm walking up one of those gigantic hills back up to the car. And here's Vince Vaughn. And I'm like, hey, hey. Go, go Cubs. And he's like, yeah, right on, man. And he just walked right past me. So he, either way, like, he's always that dude that you see on the screen. That's who he really is in, in person. Yep. So, you know, as, as we keep things going here on the Cubs weekly podcast, we'll take a departure from all the Vince Vaughn chatter, but you know, one guy who's been a, as good as it gets, you talk about all the guys who've been called up, all, all the cats who've really you know, announced their presence with authority, but I like to call them closer one B around these parts, you know, on Cubs live and Cubs post game live, Dan Petoni, but it's, it's Tommy Nance. I mean, he's a guy six, six throws 97, 98, you know, West coast dude. And we talked about whoever the scout was when he was in college, Deb. I mean, he needs to get fired immediately because <laughs> I was dude that throws 96 plus didn't get drafted and was sitting there kicking around in the indie leagues. I mean, that, that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, he, this story is just remarkable and, um, and a, you know, a great testament to perseverance too. Like he's battled his own injuries. He's gone through stuff to get back to where he has to, uh, had to, had to get to in order to get to the big leagues. And um, wow. What the, the stuff aside, the, the composure that he's shown when he's out there, um, you know, the, his mound presence is incredible. He attacks the strike zone. He's not messing around. He knows that his stuff is good enough. Um, you know, he's got a plus fastball plus curveball, and he's got a real good slider too, that he occasionally sprinkles in. But, you know, I look at like that front uh, side hit uh, sinker he threw on somebody and punched him out to end the game. It was, you know, at the hip 97 running back on the inside corner out of his hand. He's like, you're out, but you could see it. He knew he nailed the pitch and he just, he's just been uh, such a great success story. And, it and it's too, it's a good lesson for every young pitcher out there, right? We get drafted. We want to move up the ranks so fast. We want to get to the big leagues. We want to get to and we get to the big leagues and we want to have success and we don't. And we get sent back down and we go through all, everybody's timeline is different. They're all different. They some people peak and they're ready to go and they're good to go at 21 years old. Some people it's 25. And for whatever reason, this was his journey. And um, I, I just look at like the hardships that he's had to go through, you know, with his dad, with his dad having ALS. And, you know, um, that is obviously probably, if you'd ask him, probably plays a big part in the fact that, you know, he's, he's able to persevere through all this because he's watched what his dad's had to endure and having failures or battling through injuries on a baseball field pale in comparison to what he's had to go through. Yeah, and like you said, his father, Mark, you know, suffers from ALS, but, you know, his dad is undeterred. All he wants to do is go out there and see his son pitch. And he said, you know, sometimes he has to pinch himself and, and think, well, my son really is a big leaguer and I'm able to be here and, and be there for him. And, you know, it, it, the, the, what do they say? It's, it's from two years to potentially five years. That's, you know, and, and Boog Shambi said that, you know, that it's 100% fatal when it comes to ALS, but, but Tommy Nance's father, Mark, he's, he's still here and, and he's still supporting his son. And, you know, we, we were able to catch up with Tommy Nance and his father, that was yesterday during the inaugural Lou Gehrig Day ceremonies at Wrigley Field and all around Major League Baseball. It was an unbelievable watch and listen. So, you know, without further ado, let's let's take a look at that. It was May 22nd, 2014, and it was a shock to myself and family. And it was the hardest thing I ever had to do was tell my family that I had ALS. I didn't even know what ALS was. I told everyone and decided, no worry kids, I'm gonna fight this. Don't be sad, don't be unhappy, don't be bummed. I don't want anyone to feel sorry for us. I wanna fight this. I remember where I was. I was actually surprising you guys at home. And like I showed up you know, at the house and no one was there. And I guess uh, you guys were visiting somebody. Um, I think I called you and said, well, I'm here to surprise you guys. Like, um, you know, where are you guys at? And said you were on your way home. But then that's when you, you said, you know, by the way, 
um, I, I just I want you to hear it from me first. Um, you know, I was diagnosed with ALS, and you know, uh, kind of gave me the uh, like the lifespan statistics on it real quick, just to you know, because I, I also had no idea what. ALS was and I think when I did more and more research on it like it was harder and harder to to grasp it and like accept it because of you know we didn't know what to expect and now seven years later it's pretty amazing. Here is the major league debut of Tommy Nance. Cool story. This is a guy who was signed out of indie ball team. They signed him at a tryout. When he first called me I was like kidding me. I was in shock, tears. My wife Susan and I were just like hugged each other and like, are you kidding me? You made it. I always believed you could do this. And to see him work so hard all these years and never give up, always trying to move forward. But it it's an amazing, sort of surreal to sit there, see it live, and watch him just feel so comfortable up there. I'm like, how can you do that? I'm amazed, but that's who he is. He never quits. He wants his dream. That's what I always try to tell my kids is, Keep, I want to keep feeding your dream, your passion. Follow your passion. I really wish that they could have been out there for the debut, but you know, honestly, them being able to get out at all, I know there were some challenges to overcome to make that happen. But you know, they've gotten to see me pitch twice now, and you know, every time I I, I know they're very proud and. Um, you know, it's just really cool, like looking up into the stands and seeing them there. You know, I, I think back of, you know, college having them in the stands, you know, high school having them in the stands, like high school having them at practices. And, um, you know, it's, it's just really amazing and special to have them actually come and you know, see me live out my childhood dream. And, you know, I, it's just really, it's really amazing, honestly. I don't want to take anything away from him. And that's, I don't want with any of my kids. So it's, uh, it was hard to come out and kind of tell more people more and more because I don't want people to feel sorry for me. You know, his worry too is it being attached to me like for my whole career and, you know, the rest of my life. Um, but, I think it is important to continue to, to spread the word and awareness. I think it's important hearing from people living with it, seeing someone like my dad who's had it for the amount of time that he's had, like it certainly is, um, or certainly can be hopeful for some. And uh, you know, yeah, just the message to keep, keep fighting. You know, I, I've pulled a lot of that from him, like in my own life, and you know, I try to do the same to others through what I do. And, you know, a lot of that comes from him and the way that he raised me. So it's a special day, uh, Lou Gehrig Day, and it'll be uh, really special to be out there on the field for it too. So Tony, remarkable what Tommy has been able to do out there on the hill, but not only that, it's it's him being able to compartmentalize and, and being able to forge ahead, knowing what his father Mark's been dealing with. I mean, it's just a testament to their family strength all the way around. Yeah, it really is. And it, it kind of goes back to what we were all discussing earlier is it's the character of a guy to be able to get to this point. And, and the Cubs have prioritized character. They've prioritized that intangible kind of quality that, yeah, you know, he has a big fastball. He has these elite spin rates on, on sliders and curveballs. But the character that you can't necessarily measure in, obviously that's paid off. And as we talked about, I, I you know, I, I don't know exactly how much, but obviously the family situation has helped and his journey to this point has given him a different and very unique perspective to get to the big leagues. And and I just think it's cool. I mean, the, the first day after his debut, he met with the media for the first time, still via Zoom, but he was asked about what it was like to be on Pitching Ninja right away. And it was like, that is that is so cool to be up. And, and immediately his first outing, he's on Pitching Ninja. And the pitch that 
that Demp just referenced to that, that sinker that had like, I think it was like 20 inches of, of horizontal movement, which was insane, but he's, you know, he's, he's been on pitching Ninja almost every outing since he's been out there. So it's been impressive. It's a fantastic story. There's so many good stories on the, the 2021 Cubs right now, but I think Nance and everything that he's been through with his family as well is my favorite. Yeah. And Demp, you know, to be able to be out there at the ballpark on June 2nd, the inaugural, Lou Gehrig day and especially to see how how Boog's been able to be a champion of this cause he lost you know his best friend to the disease a few years back and just just to see that the outpouring of emotion not just from people who the disease of ALS has affected but just the fans I mean there were t-shirts everywhere I mean it, it was just pomp and circumstance from front to back at the friendly confines of June 2nd that we'll never forget yeah and all around baseball too and just what an incredible job MLB did with it and um, you know Boog is uh, second to none as far as how much awareness he tries to drive home. Is that I know a Boog shirt you have on there, Dan? No, it looks like Boog, but that's oh. that's Mr. Matt Foley. But this all is actually all I saw was the top. I'm not Boog. Forgive me. I'm not. I'm not saying that you live in a van down by the river. All <laughs> I saw was the top, and, and Chris Farley, rest in peace. His hair looked a little red right there. That's, I'm, I'm, uh, this is a gift from Boog, which was really nice. So okay, Boog, Boog owed one of these, and I'm like, I like that shirt, and he got me one. But yeah, just he he does amazing work with Project Main Street and everything he's done with all the families and and helping people through this terrible disease. It's 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 horrible what it does to people and how it just like, you know, to sit there and have your brain working, but the rest of your body just deteriorate. And and like you said, it's 100% fatal. It's there's there's people aren't you know, getting cures for this and the fight to get a cure and strike out ALS is something Boog's determined to be a part of and be a big part of and to support him as his friend. And, you know, and I just look at what, what Lou Gehrig said the day, you know, when he got up there and said, I consider today, I consider myself the luckiest man alive. Like here's somebody who's got a disease that's going to kill him. And he says that because he truly meant that because it is an incredible honor to put on a major league uniform. It, it is a gift um it is it is not a right the day you get done playing baseball they keep playing baseball games baseball never stops for you so you have for him in that moment to have the wherewithal and the understanding even though something tragic was happening that was gonna you know eventually kill him he truly understood that he was so lucky to put a yankee uniform on and, and play the great game and and for him to say that in that moment and now for major league baseball to recognize you know june uh, second is, is Lou Gehrig's disease for the rest of the time is so incredible and, um, and, and really, really fitting. And, and I'm just glad that so much awareness was brought to it and, and, and none bigger than Boog and everything he's done for it. Marquee Sports Network, oh my God, you know, top to bottom. It was one of the best um, shows, I, games I saw, just the amount of great things that were done. And, you know, from first pitches to families in the stands and to all the awareness and raising money, just an, a special day, man. It was really cool. Tony, how about you? Is there anything that jumped off the page to you? I mean, I I know just the 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 outpouring from everybody. You know, the, the t-shirts, the the supporters, the, even people that are suffering from ALS that were in attendance and they were able to take things in. Steve Gleason was there. You know, I, I used to cover the Saints once upon a time, and to see Steve Gleason still here with us, I mean, that's that's remarkable in and of itself. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it, it's the whole day. Like to echo everything Dem just said, it was it was powerful and. And to, to read, I mean, obviously, Tommy Nance's story, as we just talked about, and to hear Lou Gehrig and to hear, you know, Boog's friend, Tim, and everything they've gone through. But what stood out to me was like, I, so we have a bunch of ALS heroes. It's marqueesportsnetwork.com slash ALS. It's a lot of people who have been afflicted with the disease, how it affects uh, their family. And I was reading one of the first ones that came up, and it was Alex Wilcox had the whole story, but it was John Kennedy. And um, he was just kind of talking about how he was getting married. And, uh, and shortly after that, he was diagnosed with ALS and how it affected his family. And it felt like that kind of hit home for me. You know, I'm getting married later this summer. And I was thinking about like how kind of scary it is that this can come out of nowhere and you're humming along with this, you know, life and everything else. And it, this just hits you. And, and so it was it, like, I felt like I was kind of a little bit emotional reading that and, and listening to some of these stories. And so I think that's really what, the day was for me what it was looking at it. I know Scott Shagnon, our producer here was wearing an ALS shirt and, and I saw him all around Boog obviously had him on Taylor McGregor was wearing him like those seeing all of that, the awareness that was raised, I just thought was, was a really cool day at Wrigley field that culminated with, as we talked about it to start the podcast, the energy in the stadium. I thought those things paired really nicely together. 
Yeah, and Demp, you know, you see all those stories, and, and John Kennedy was one of the stories, one of the ALS heroes that we're representing here at Marquee Sports Network. But anytime you see, you know, especially for me in particular, when you see a guy who is a father and he has children, and for me, the father of a daughter, when 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 you see that these guys are they're they're in a wheelchair and, and their wives are their caretakers and the kids are there, but it seems like they're they're almost robbed of a little piece of their childhood. And, and that right there is, is one of the, the things that it makes you tear up just a little bit. As a father, I, I know you, you know you you're very instrumental in, in, in your kids' upbringing and, and everything that they do. You're there every step of the way, and for them not to be able to do that, that that's that's a tough blow right there. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you just makes you really, really appreciate. Life gets busy, and we get caught up in things, right? What's 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 my next tweet going to be? I got to make sure I post something to my Instagram account. Oh, I got to make sure this thing's appreciated. And really, at the end of the day, the most important thing is your kids, and you know that day with them. And you never know what tomorrow brings. And when you wake up and you you sit there and you know thank the good Lord that you're here, and just you know do everything you can to have the best day you possibly can, and and just love the ones you know, love your family, love your friends. And, and appreciate it because you never know how fast things can change. And if you take that mentality and just live for today and appreciate today, be prepared for tomorrow, but just yep. appreciate today the best you can. And, and, and those stories definitely drive that narrative home. Yeah. Well, on the, uh, the day after that inaugural Lou Gehrig day, June 2nd, it's really makes us be thankful for everything that we have here. I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for Tony, for you, Deb, for Scott. He's, he's muted right now. He's not, He's, he's watching us, the, the watchful eye of Scott Shagnon there. But either way, guys, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of this team with you. And, and you know, uh, health to all of you guys, you know, moving forward. And this Cubs team this season, they, they haven't been the healthiest, but what they've been able to do is they've been able to get a few healthy wins. So that's always a good thing. And to see them hit that West Coast, you know, they, they don't need to sweep the San Francisco Giants and the San Diego Padres again, but it would be nice if they could come back and be in front of a hundred percent capacity at Wrigley field and taking on those St. Louis Cardinals with, with seven in a row under their belts after a long West coast trip. Well, that would be something pretty special. And we're looking very much forward to that. And well, that's going to put the wraps on this week's edition of the Cubs weekly podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy sponsor of the Chicago Cubs. All you need to do is go online, wintrust.com and you can start that Wintrust Cubs checking sooner rather than later. And you can also jump over to MarqueeSportsNetwork.com and you can watch us here on the podcast. And you can always go to Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. So for Ryan Dempster and Tony Andracki, I'm Cole Wright. The Cubs, and they are red hot right now. and They're not showing any signs of cooling down. We'll check back in with you next week. Same time, same place right here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast.